0: then we bought another four and then uh, six plaques, 16 unit, 30, just kept growing. And here I am today.
1: Hello, and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now let's get to it. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer with me today I'm excited to have Alexandra Hader. Alexandra how are you doing today?
0: doing great thanks for having me I'm excited to be here
1: I'm excited to have you on and uh, had you at our conference the North Star real estate conference Oh boy it's been a couple months now um, and uh, you know had you up on stage talking a little bit about commercial real estate so that was that was a lot of fun so I'm excited to have you on the show Thank you. A little bit about Alexandra. She was a former sixth grade English teacher and she was looking for her first duplex uh, during that time. And now fast forward over the last three years, Alexandra has since quit her teaching job, become a full-time realtor and investor that has approximately $20 million of both residential and commercial real estate properties with a monthly rental income of over $120,000. She has a portfolio consisting of over 150 doors of residential and 50 commercial units throughout Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa. Recently, along with a couple partners, she purchased her first retail strip mall uh, in Eau Claire, and she's been navigating, and we'll dig into this as well. She's been navigating no money down deals, uh, off-market deals. She loves stabilizing property, stabilizing distressed real estate. Um, so with that said, Alexandra, we're going to dive in, but why don't you give our listeners a bit more about your background and why real estate? What made, uh, what made you decide, Hey, I don't want to be a teacher anymore.
0: Yeah. So, um, basically I went to school initially. I went to the U of M that time in Minnesota, uh, to be a veterinarian and was in that program for maybe a year and a half. And I just knew I wanted to work with people. And so I kind of floundered for a while and didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was like, well, I like helping people. So I actually thought about being um, like a guidance counselor. My dad was like, you can't, you'll take it home with you. You'll be, you know, just sad all the time. And so I decided (laughs) on teacher. And I decided to be a psychology teacher. And my dad was like, no, 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 you have to do a course <laughs> subject. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not going to find a job. I was like, okay, I guess I'll be an English teacher. Um, so, you know, I started off, I was actually at Brooklyn Center secondary for, um, I was in Brooklyn Center. First, I was at a charter school, then the secondary for my first two years. Um, and, you know, I I did really enjoy it, but um, I kind of knew after those two years it wasn't necessarily what I was looking to do for my life. And my parents convinced me to try um, you know, a different school district for my last year, which I did. Um, and I think just during that I I saw my parents growing up, you know, they had rental properties, they had their their job, they own an asbestos abatement company, but they had these rental properties on the side, um, which became their full-time job after they sold that company and so I grew up with them. I spent my summers, especially during the transition period, because they had mostly student tenants. And so during the transition from when the tenants moved out before the new ones moved in, which was one crazy week, I spent my summers working with my parents, very hands-on. They'd have us even like painting the outsides of buildings, and mm. um, you know we we worked with them, and they were very blue-collar. Um, they did everything themselves, which is awesome. But anyways. So as a teacher, I, I just kind of knew how I could supplement my income because, you know, I was coaching at, uh, as I was teaching and, and just trying to basically um, make some decent money. And then I would also work during the summers, which is like the perk of it being a teacher is having your summers up. But I didn't because I really wanted to be able to travel. And if a medical expense came up, pay for it, everything like that. And so Anyways, I started Where, where did you
1: for, What did you work in the summers? What did you do?
0: Well, I was a waitress, and I worked waitress. at Stella. Okay. Yep. Which is where I met my husband.
1: Well, oh, perfect. Well, that. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so glad I did it all. Right. Um, glad I taught too. I really did like um, certain aspects of that. But anyway, so I, I worked as a waitress, um, and I taught, and I was looking for a duplex with my realtor. Um, His name was Judd Boehner. He was awesome. Um, I really liked working with him. We actually probably put in 10 to 15 offers, but at the time you really couldn't, it was so hard for me to get a duplex. It's not like I had more than 3% to put down. Um, You know, I was just one of many and I never got one. Um, Hmm. But during that time I became pretty good friends with Judd. And he, one time before we were leaving was like, can I talk with you about something? I was like, oh gosh, what is this? And he convinced me to go into real estate because he could just see my passion for it, and um, so I joined his team. So he and, convinced um,
1: you to go in as a as a realtor.
0: He did, yes. Okay. So what he and I discussed was I would join his team. He would kind of teach me how to do everything. Um, I would still be a teacher, and he would take my calls during the day, and then after work, I could have my own showings. I could do all of you know what I had to do as a realtor. And I was very excited about that because at the time I was certain I was still going to be teaching. Um, But I kind of did, I did summer school, which was half days and I was a real estate agent. Um, And at that point I knew there's just no way to do both even well, you know, I would, I could do both, but I would suck at both. So I was done teaching. Um, my first real estate commission came exactly two weeks after my last teacher's paycheck. So I never really had a gap there, which was awesome. Um, and that's because I, you know, got paid through the summer as a teacher. So it did still take me like three months, but I had my paychecks coming in and I was doing summer school. Um, and since then I, I was a realtor strictly, um, still looking for an investment for my first like six months or so, but as you know, without a W-2, it's really hard to get financing. Um, so my first deal I ended up buying, my brother found for me, he's, he's really awesome. Um, he's a pretty big investor too, but it was a small single family house. Um, I bought it for $16,000 cash, which was really an $8,000 loan from the bank, and then <laughs> my own money. Um, and it was a line of credit. And then basically went there every single weekend and worked. Um, it was in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. There was no even service yeah. there.
1: I was going to ask you, how did <laughs> you find a sixteen thousand dollars house? It was
0: a cute house. Because this was
1: wasn't that. that long ago. Like this wasn't it
0: was in November twenty eighteen.
1: Twenty eighteen, right? So yep. the market has already recovered by then. Yep. It, yeah, I was buying yeah. sixteen thousand dollars houses back in like twenty ten, but.
0: Not so this house was yeah, in a unincorporated village, population probably 50. Um, Literally, I did not have cell phone service there. So like, I couldn't even call somebody. I spent many hours like laying on the ground crying and (laughs) bleeding and trying to figure things out. Couldn't even call anybody. Um, And I didn't want to stay overnight there either because uh, somebody had just recently got abducted from there. uh, And I was scared of it. And so... And so, anyways, uh, you know, people came with me, like my boyfriend at the time husband. Now he came with me a lot. And at the time he didn't really have any experience with this either. Now he's a licensed contractor, he's really gotten into it, but um, we were learning things as we go. Like our my brother taught me how to do drywall, and it was like horribly embarrassing dry well, because he started it with me, but then I finished it and uh I thought it would be cool to paint the room blue, but the drywall was so bad that I wanted to do some texture and then it looked like clouds in a whole room and I laid there and cried because I had to redo it. (laughs) But I mean, it was a good experience. I put probably $3,000 into that house total and a ton of time um, and ended up selling it for $70,000 on a contract for deed a couple months later. So it was my starting point bought a couple other houses on contract for deed after that. Um, and then I actually met uh, my mentor and now a partner who I work with a ton, Rafiq Moore, and he helped me to acquire my first multifamily property. So it was under his LLC. I was kind of like the on the ground, um, the grunt. Uh, I was originally going to live there, but he convinced me not to because he, he was like, this, you just cannot live there. It was, it was kind of in a um, more... A more dangerous neighborhood, um, but we ended up fixing that.
1: How uh, many units was that?
0: That was a fourplex.
1: A fourplex. We, okay.
0: We bought it for I believe three forty three, and then we sold it not even six months later for four sixty. Nice. Um, and we, my husband and I, worked there every night. Same thing, um, but at this time I had a lot of clients as a realtor, so I was very busy and. Um, he had starting his, I think he had already started his roofing company at that time. So we were both very busy and we were literally there working at like 12 o'clock at night. And we'd feel bad because we were like, we feel like we're maybe being too loud for the other tenants, but, um, we got it done and it was a good experience. And then we bought another four plaques and then, uh, six plaques, 16 unit 30, just kept growing. And here I am today.
1: That's awesome. What a story. And so, you know, your first building 2018 um, yep. and and now we're just a few years later and I, I already read the bio. So so people have heard that. What do you attribute to the the growth that you've had? Because you've had some pretty impressive growth going from really to nothing, right? Not not owning, yeah. Not owning anything, being a teacher. Teachers don't make a million dollars a year. Everybody knows that. Um, so what do you, what do you attribute to your impressive growth that you've had over the last couple of years?
0: The people who I've met for sure. Yeah. So, um,
1: so how did the people that you've met, how did you, how did you meet those people? Like, did, what did, what did you do to make those connections?
0: Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, the entire time that, I've been a realtor. I, you know, just the reason why I became a realtor, I'm very, very excited and passionate about this. Um, I didn't realize it as a kid, when I was working with my parents, but from the day I started looking for that duplex, I think it's always been very exciting to me. And still, I mean, it, even when I was on my honeymoon, it was like painful for me to not look into deals. Like I actually was, I loved my my honeymoon and the vacation, but I was so excited to get back and start like looking again and, and connecting with the people who had emailed me and I see these emails and I'm looking at it briefly. I'm like, ah, this is a good deal. Like I want to talk with them, but I'm trying not to work because it's my honeymoon. Um, and so I think the reason why I've met so many awesome people is because people see that and, um, and they like it, you know, you want to work with somebody who loves what they're doing and if they're doing what's your what you're doing um i think it's it just has been people have been maybe drawn to that and they want to help me because they know that i will work hard and and really excited about what i'm doing so um like my my mentor and somebody who i own probably around 130 doors with um he's Rafik Moore how i met him was i was working with some other um Contractors and basically, they told him that I was working with them. They knew him; um, he had invested money with them sometimes, and and he actually brought me in because he had heard good things and that I really liked what I was doing. And you know, I worked with them all the time, and it was very fun for me. and And I still really am, I like them a lot to this day. They kind of stopped doing houses, but um, so they he actually asked me to come in an interview for being his residential realtor. And shortly after, he kind of learned how passionate I was about it and how I wanted to keep growing. Um, at that time, I only had a couple of houses, but I was always looking and um, bringing him good deals. and And that's when he kind of brought up to me buying a fourplex together. And really, since then, that was probably a year and a half ago. But you know, probably over half of my portfolio is either with him or with him and my brother together. So, yeah.
1: So did you go over then and become a realtor through his brokerage? Nope.
0: Nope. Um, oh, you mean under his brokerage? Yeah. Um, so technically I'm not under Caspian. I'm under Strata, which is like the sister company sister to Canada. Caspian because they do residential and Caspian strictly commercial. And since when I started, I was um, basically strictly residential. That's where I am right now. Um, Got it. Likely in Wisconsin, because we do have that retail strip mall there and I want to be advertising under Caspian. I, I likely will Caspian's thinking about getting their broker's license in Wisconsin. And then I would likely do Strata in Minnesota and Caspian under Wisconsin.
1: Got it. Got it. Yeah. So let's talk, um, Strategy and it sounds like you're doing some no money down. It sounds like you're yeah. getting into highly distress. I, I shouldn't say. It sounds like I know you're getting into some highly distressed properties. Um, well, let's just first lean on the the no money down. What are you doing to get no money down? We're in a super hot market. It's very competitive. Um, you know, prices are going through the roof. Sellers can sell without no money down. So how yep. are you convincing them? What are you doing? Is it just the approach to us Let's talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah. So, um, I, there's been a couple of different ways, but primarily it's just understanding why somebody is selling. So, um, for example, my most recent purchase agreement I sent out was, was last night. And, um, I asked for a 20% seller hold back, um, The reason why and why he's already agreed to this is, um, so I kind of got to know this guy, his name's Rick. He actually owns an appliance shop in Waseca where I own a majority or a large part of my portfolio. Um, And basically he wants to focus on his appliance um, shop that he has and they sell appliances, they uh, fix them, that sort of thing. And so I got to know him pretty well. He knew that I was an investor. I started to understand that he owned all of these properties, but that he felt like he wanted to focus on, you know, his main job. And he was getting tired. Um, he had quite a few tenants who weren't paying during COVID. He was the hands-on person of a partnership, and he was just kind of exhausted. And him and I spoke a lot, and he would mention this. And then. One day he actually reached out to me asking if I'd be interested in purchasing and because I already knew that the reason why he wanted to sell was because he just wanted more time for his main job I was able to say, "Well, what's your goal here? If you still wish you had that passive income, why don't you hold back the 20% and you know, you're still getting a small monthly, you know, it's not a ton. It's we're buying all these properties for $500,000. So $100,000 he's holding back." but he's getting 4% interest on his money. Um, he He's happy to still be getting passive income as is his partner. He just can't put the time into this building anymore. He doesn't want to even sell it. He just has to sell it. He cannot handle all of this anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just understanding why people are selling. And if their motive for selling is not that they need this huge sum of cash and they want to, you know, put it into something else or they're selling everything and moving somewhere and they, you know, if they don't need that full amount of the money and especially if their mortgage is low enough that they can still pay off their mortgage and and still invest with you, that's really what they're becoming, right? They're becoming an investor. Um, They're the hands-off person. They're still making money on their money better than they would make in the bank and they don't have to deal with any of the problems anymore. So just kind of presenting it to them as, well, um, I'll give you your money, but you're also going to make more money off of this if you want to help me out. And typically um, when I'm presenting this to people, they kind of have gotten to know me already. And even if it's just a, a meeting or two, they, they trust me. Um, I explain that I've done this. I, I kind of preface things with, this is how I do things. A lot of times, not necessarily going to even be offering on your property, but if I know somebody has properties, they already know that I try to do non-traditional financing because I was a teacher three years ago and and I don't have, I always tell people that too, you know, I not necessarily like have so much liquid cash just to throw into these properties, but I want to keep accumulating and growing my portfolio.
1: Right. Yeah. I think that's super important. You have to understand what the seller is really looking for. Uh, Just because I, I hear it all the time. Well, the market's hot. You can't, can't do seller financing. You can't, you can't get that stuff when the market's hot. I think obviously you're proof of that. Uh, That you can, you can actually do that, but you just have to understand what the seller actually wants. Getting to know the seller, I think that's really important. I think that helps a lot. And, And making sure the seller really understands what they're getting. When I do any seller financing offer, I really try to make sure the seller understands what it means. Yep. Just because you say, Hey, can, you know, you, 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 do a 20%, you know, carry back. They, they go, they don't even know what that means a lot of times. For
0: sure. Yep. And I definitely have to go through that, um, every single time. And the other thing is sometimes people don't want their properties back. I would say, you know, if this doesn't work out, um, you, you get your property back, you already know it, but some people just want to be so done with this. Mm-hmm. So you can actually, you know. You can hold that. That twenty percent can be a lien on a different property as well. And often, if it's a no um, for their own property, they will put it on another property. So. Well,
1: oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I have not that's done collateral. I've not done that, but that's that's yeah. really interesting. That they don't want their property back necessarily. They probably have some some nightmares about their property. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, if you yeah. say, "Well, I got this nice shiny property over here." Uh,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially if it can be in the same town, like, oh, you love this property, you know, these stores, there's an h block in there and these awesome, great tenants. I love my tenants in this building. If I don't pay you, you get that building. You so it's still way. not a headache for you.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I like that approach. That's, that's really creative. Um, so just ask like that, that's, we send an offers, uh, I don't know if you do this, but when we send in offers, we send in multiple offers. We send in, in one of them or maybe two or three of them are different types of sellers, financing, um, carrybacks, whatever it might be. And so that way we can allow them to choose.
0: Yeah, so so you set in multiple for the same property. Yeah. Yeah, I've done that a couple of times too. It's nice, I'll, often they'll see a bigger number if they're willing to hold back money. Um, And so that is helpful because often that helps you to get that type of financing, which is what you want, or I always want at least.
1: Absolutely. Love it. Um, all right. And then what are you doing? You know, you're finding these off market deals. This guy just came to you and said, Hey, buy my property. Yeah. He called me. He called you up. Is that, is that how most of your off market or what are you doing to work off market deals?
0: Um, to be honest, in the beginning, I was doing a ton of cold calling. Um, and, and I found properties that way. Uh, I, I actually wouldn't call it even cold calling. Um, I certainly do not cold call. I do a ton of research. I know exactly how much they owe on their mortgage. I I know essentially what I could offer. I know who they are, what other properties they own. I know everything about as much as I can learn about this property before I call them. So they know I'm, I'm very serious about it. Um, And, and, you know, I like to call in an area where I already have a property. Of course, in the beginning I couldn't do that, but then I, now I can, where I say, Hey, I own, you know, these two properties in your town. It's really hard for me to pay a manager to be there. Um, I'd love to grow my portfolio so that, you know, I'm really getting a better return on my investment. I love your specific property. Um, often I'm calling somebody who I know has owned this property for 40, 50 years, likely looking to sell eventually um, in the near future. Um, so I do I do a lot of warm calling as well. Uh actually recently I um Rafik and I spoke at a um, you know, uh, I guess it's kind of like an investment meeting at Caspian. There were some investors who came in and um just for the sake of this, I was talking about how I do my calls. And um, so I tracked myself, made five calls a day. I did it for one week. Um, And of that, gosh, I have this written down somewhere, but I got three people who said yes, they want to sell. Um, And then a couple of more who, you know, said follow up in a little bit. And I did not get any person yelling at me. I got no one screaming at me saying, leave me alone, hanging up. Everyone was like, oh, I would love to, but my son's actually managing and, you know, he's going to take over or they, they were nice to me. So I think a lot of people have this fear of cold calling and it's hard. Like, I, I imagine that if someone was hanging up on me all the time, screaming at me, you know, basically I'm just getting shut down over and over that to me is very, um, Unappealing, but the way that I've been making these calls and doing a lot of research takes a lot longer, but I think I get a lot more um, success with it.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're 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 going to get a lot more no's if you know nothing about the property, right? If yeah. You're just completely because I'll get people that I get a lot of cold calls that come yep. in for people wanting to buy my properties. Hey, I'm looking. I, I'd like to buy your property. Which one? Oh. Uh, Yep. Um. Well, uh, I buy single family homes. Okay. I've got 50 of them. Which one do you want to buy? Right. Well, yep.
0: um, no, 100%. And, and I think also being able to say, Hey, I'm, I'm your neighbor. I own this property. I yeah. love the area. I would love to purchase your specific property. This is what I know about it. Um. Right. People are, are a lot more kind to their neighbors too, I think. So yeah.
1: well, and just that connection makes you not Want to yell at the person too.
0: Yeah. When somebody,
1: when honestly, when somebody calls me and they have no clue, it makes me want to go, Hey, dummy. Like,
0: yep. What do no, you do? No, I get like, it. What I are you I, doing? I, like, I feel the same way. Yeah. And I don't want to be called a dummy. So I do <laughs> my due diligence.
1: <laughs> I try to be nice, but yeah. You know, but at the same time, like that's how you get yelled at. Yeah. don't get Absolutely. yelled at when you say, I know about your property. You know, this is, I really like the area. I've got properties nearby, blah, 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 blah. And you've got a story and you've got a reason for your call other than just, I'm just a scavenger looking for your property.
0: Yep. And and I think it's nice too to say, you know, I bought Alan Charlie's property for $33 a do- you know, a door, $33,000 a door. And so probably, likely that's what I could offer you depending on condition. So they, they know, okay, well, I can go talk to Al and Charlie, who I know, because a lot of my properties, as you know, are in small towns and they know each yeah. other. And, um, and then they realize they put the face to the properties and, um, yeah, I think it's just, it's worked out well for me as well.
1: Let's talk small towns and, um, the, the benefits and the difficulties of small towns. So you're in a lot of small towns, um uh, yep. within what, four, four hours or so of the twin cities.
0: I would say within four hours. Um, I have, I own properties in small town, Iowa, um, like three and a half hours throughout Minnesota away from me. Um, that's my furthest one in Minnesota and then Wisconsin.
1: Yep. Yeah. And Eau Claire, you know, that's obviously a bigger town, but, um, still small relative terms. Um, why, what's the attraction of small towns? First of all,
0: the return on the investment.
1: Okay. So cash flow. Uh,
0: yeah, I feel I can find better deals yeah. um, in small towns, and they're getting less of those calls. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I understand that we're buying a lot of assisted living, and we're buying in small towns uh, outside okay. of the Twin Cities. So, so I I understand that. So, so cash flow, likely better returns. Um, how are you managing them? That's the real question because that's the difficulty, right? When you're in the Twin Cities, you've got millions of people to choose from uh, to manage your properties, to do the construction on your properties, to, you know, just, just everything. How are you managing in small towns? What are you doing? That's been successful. And maybe even what are some challenges that you've ran? uh, ran This is,
0: this is really funny. You're asking this because as of January 1st, I am completely switching up what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had been
1: you'll um, have to we'll have to dig into what that means. So go ahead. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. So uh basically up until this point I had one main uh girl who was like the point of contact and then I had on-site maintenance people um and then two VAs in the Philippines that were you know filtering through the calls. Um
1: Fil- filter through what call what kind of calls?
0: Maintenance calls.
1: Maintenance calls, okay.
0: Yep, yep. Um and That worked all right. The issue is that um, when push came to shove and somebody wasn't answering, it always came back to me. And now that my portfolio is, I I could do it when it was 20 units, 25 units, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's too big now. And I, I simply cannot um, be the main point of contact for everything. And so starting on January 1st, um, so my, my, um, my main girl, Gavhara is her name. She was kind of the point of contact before me. Um, and she's actually having a baby. And so she is going to be going home and, uh, you know, living with her child. Um, but it actually, I think is going to be for the best because, um, I have reached out to multiple different companies. One of them is Mike Temple, who I met at at the real estate conference, yep. uh, he'll be taking over St. Paul, but, um, and finding local managers, not so much necessarily, even in the same city. Like for example, I have properties in Lafayette, Minnesota, Waseca and soon to be Janesville. Um, and so I found somebody in Mankato and they're managing that whole little area. It's okay. a, within 30 minutes of them, any, in any direction. Um, and you know, I, I interviewed quite a few companies and I'm looking to have boots on the ground more so than I do. So yeah, there's been a lot of, there has been a lot of challenges. The biggest challenge is when there's an issue and you have to get there, you're three and a half hours away. Um, we went through the process of, we had a property in, in Slayton, Minnesota, which is a very small town. And we had a property manager that wasn't working out for us um, for a multitude of, of reasons, Um And so we ended up getting rid of her and we had to find another one. And, um, you know, it was, it was a challenge and, and my brother and I co-own that property and we're like, are we going to be managing this ourselves? Like it's three and a half hours away. We cannot stick with what we're currently doing, but also I can't be spending seven hours of my day driving out to look at a toilet. There's no way. Um, and I, I can't be showing apartments, like, you know, driving that far to even show an apartment. We ended up, and this is what I've been trying to do a lot, um, finding a tenant that we really like and you know, giving them a, a steep discount. They don't have to even be, especially in Slayton, she's not, she doesn't have a background in property management, um, but she's just our boots on the ground. She's, she's nice, she's trustworthy, she's well-spoken and she's happy to help. She actually um, was looking for a job. And so we found this awesome tenant, Alicia, Um, when I met her to show her, her unit immediately, I was like, oh my gosh, I called my brother. I was like, I really want Alicia to help us with this property. Um, and so she's kind of stepped into that role there. Um, but I would say as far as in general, um, that is the biggest challenge and that's, you know, you give and you take, and, and maybe I'm getting a better income, uh, for what I put into these properties, but, but there's a lot more challenges with, with that as well. And it's, it's the time that I spend finding somebody local and good to help me with this property. Um, and if it doesn't work out, that's just a disaster too. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, three and a half hours over again to meet somebody and hopefully they work. And if they don't work, I cannot just go with them because, uh, that's not going to be a long-term solution. I'm going to be back here again in a couple of months. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and every time I buy a property like this, I know what I'm getting into. I, I understand that this could be a lot more work um, until I get it set up in the way it needs to be. And and I won't know for a couple of months once I put something in place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. that That's, that's one of the challenges. And quite frankly, it's still a challenge even, even if you're buying you know, in a larger city. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's still a challenge. I mean, you you don't know until you put something into place. You, you do your best to get your homework done, right, to to vet people, but you don't really know until that happens. I mean, we had a really bad experience recently with an actual owner that stayed on um, and uh, under one of our assisted living and he stayed on and we had a really bad experience. You don't know, I mean, the person seemed yeah. uh, like an amazing person. The property was running what appeared to be very, very smoothly uh, and we found out some really bad things. So, so what did you do? We kicked him out and, uh, hired new people. Yeah. We immediately kicked him out and it was like, it was a scary week basically. Cause we had to get rid of him while a couple of our top staff were, um, out for COVID protocol. Uh, yeah. And so it was a, it was a mess, uh, but you, you can't keep bad people in either. And, exactly. and especially when you're just yep. living, you just can't keep, Oh uh, yeah. Keep uh but yeah. And, and, uh, and that's have, like, for
0: us, you know, we, when you had to get rid of somebody, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, I don't want to, but I have to like, have it's to. Been so much more work, but you just have to nix it and get them out of there.
1: And you have to get rid of them. It's not, if you, if you say this is bad, I have to get rid of somebody. You have to do it now. Yep. And you have to then figure out how to replace them. You can't just let it drag on because once you're like, well, I'll find somebody to replace them and then I'll replace them. If it's actually bad, that just does that just doesn't work. You gotta yep. get rid of so. them.
0: Agreed. Another thing too was uh, that I've been doing more um, that I didn't used to is cameras in the hallways, cameras mm-hmm. everywhere other than in the units, um, because when it's far away, it's very easy for somebody to say, oh, I spent. 30 hours cleaning the day room or cleaning the hallways and, and you cannot prove that they didn't, but you know that they didn't. Right. But yeah. to have those cameras there and have them know that there are cameras, I think you're a lot less likely to be stolen from.
1: So. Yeah. that No, that's great advice. And that is so simple. And even if you're not mm-hmm. really monitoring that camera, you know, maybe here and there, but it, it's really easy when you go, wait a yeah. second, you didn't spend that much. Time. There's no way you did. You can go. We'll just check the camera.
0: Yeah, because they know you're not going to be showing up. You call them when you're coming because you're driving three and a half hours to get there, you or four sure hours. There. Yeah, you want them to be there, so they know every time you're coming, it's not like yeah. a hot by. Um, so the camera system has been uh, saving grace, I would say.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's really valuable. You could do that in any property in those common areas. Of course, not in somebody's personal unit, but in, yeah. in any common area, uh, yeah. commercial, in any uh, in the whole building. Really, yeah. uh, you could do it. So that's that's great. What's, and then it's uh, just
0: begging the cameraman, will you please cut another <laughs> eight hours of my food? Hey, you. <laughs> Love.
1: It. So, yeah. Um, what's a what's a mistake that you have made and? how have you learned from it?
0: Yeah. So, um, for me, my biggest mistake has come from just not trusting my gut instinct. Um, like for example, with that property manager who I had to get rid of, there was quite a few red flags. Um, anytime somebody is talking really bad about everyone else they've worked with,
1: like, mm, yeah.
0: uh, you know, it's, it's a red flag, but I have, found, and and I'm trying to really change this, but sometimes when it's a small town, you're just like so thankful to find somebody who knows what they're doing. And and maybe I've let things slide and not listen to my gut. After my first time um, meeting with our old property manager, my brother and I spoke and we're like, ah, like, we're not sure, but we don't know who else. So we'll just give it a try. And we've spoken since. And we're like, there's just, you know, you have to follow your gut instinct on these things because- i I'll, I could have avoided the whole mess if I had listened to what I already knew, you know, in my heart.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I think
0: my mistake is just not listening to my, my gut instinct.
1: Yeah. That can be very valuable. I like that when someone complains about everybody else, they're, they're probably the problem. Yep. And I've learned that lesson too many times.
0: Yeah. Not and everyone think- sucks in the world.
1: Yeah. You, you think, wow, this person really, they, they've got a lot. I mean, we just did it recently. We had a person that seemed like very good, but they complained about everybody Yeah, and, and we needed this major culture change and all this kind of stuff. And it was them. They needed yeah. to be got rid of to yeah. change the culture. They exactly. were the one causing the culture. Yeah. problem. So, yeah. So, uh, I, I love, I love that. You look at who's complaining there. Probably the problem. themselves. Yeah.
0: I mean, if, if everyone in your life is horrible to you, you had to look at yourself. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would say probably you too. Most of the people that we meet are pretty awesome and yeah. who, who we hang out with and who I work with. And, um, I don't know.
1: Yeah. No, hundred percent. That's, that's hundred percent. Right. Um, all right. A couple last questions before I wrap up. This has been a lot of fun, by the way. Uh, what are, what, um, what's one or two like key ingredients to your success beyond the people?
0: Um, I think the main thing I can say about that is just how much I love it. Um, so I'm passion. super passionate about it. And so I think, you know, I like, I likely, and and I'm not even likely, I was not as good of a teacher as I am at this because my heart wasn't fully in it. There was something else I wanted to be doing. Um, and this is, I wake up every morning and of course there's bad days. And of course there's people who are rude to you or, you know, steal from you or whatever, but, yeah. um, for, for the most part, it's just, I absolutely love it. It's super fun to me. It's exciting. I love the people who I work with. Um,
1: why do you think and- you love it so much? What is there anything that you would say, like, you pick out that why you love it or just like a lot of the stuff or what? what yeah. do you-
0: um, I'm very, very, very competitive. And I think that finding a really good deal and getting it when there's like other offers there or able to negotiate something awesome when, when. You know everyone people around me have said oh i've tried for forever to get a hold of this person they mm-hmm. don't answer it. that to me is a challenge so it's and i that,
1: the, the chase. That. The,
0: yes yeah. it's the chase <laughs> um and then it's really fun to me to uh, you know you can never rent out i've had so many buildings where you know it's been owned by someone and you know a whole first floor is vacant for forever and oh yeah like there's nothing going on in this town or whatever and and to get that fully stabilized and then to sell it afterwards and, you know, it's, it's fun to me. It's like, yes, we, we freaking did it. And I, um, everything about it to me is super fun. Um, and so I think, I think people can just tell that, that I love what I do. Um, and I think that's been actually really helpful for me in being successful because people like to, especially if they like it themselves, people like to surround themselves with like-minded people.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to be said about being passionate and really loving what you do. It, it not only helps, it, it, it'll help it'll help in all aspects. It helps your attitude when when stuff goes wrong, right? When, yep. when somebody's stealing from you or when things go wrong, you still have that passion and you still love what you do. If you don't love what you do, somebody's stealing from you and things are going wrong. You're like, Jesus, what am I doing this for? Right. Right. Um, but then it it just, I think it really helps a lot of people trust you, right? They see the passion, they see the the, the burning desire that's in you and they feel it. And that in turn creates a lot of trust.
0: Yeah. Um, And and that's actually the second thing that I would say is just, you know, being completely transparent. I've had to, um, I've messed up before, of course. And I specifically, you remember one time I missed a due diligence. I actually, um, had sent out, uh, I think we were trying to negotiate a discount and our due diligence was ending that day. And then I went to a wedding and they never sent it back. And so I had to call Rafiq the next day. I was like, I really messed up. Like they, I think we're stuck in this, you know, if, if they want to stick it to me, they never sent it back. I didn't cancel. I was, I technically was locked into something that I didn't want to be locked into. And I, I messed up. I just forgot about it. Um, I went to a wedding and that was that. Um, but having to have, to be upfront, I'm not going to, I, I think that people appreciate, um, honesty and, and everyone has messed up that I'm around and, and I've messed up multiple times. And, um, you know, luckily in that case, the sellers were not, they didn't hold us to it and they actually ended up signing, um, what we had wanted and, and I had sent it to them that day, but then I forgot about it and just let it go. And, um, but I think being able to be upfront and not trying to hide anything and just, um, honesty and with my partners too, we're all super honest with each other and I, I completely trust them. I know that I don't have to watch our bank accounts. I don't have to, we're, we're just so honest with each other. And I think, um, it's, I've been around a lot of honest people. I personally, am sleeping very well at night because I don't think I'm trying to hide something from anybody. And I think, you know, just passionate and honest is, Two really big key factors.
1: Yeah, so so important that that honesty and that just being being open to communication and just tra- super transparent. I, I love that. Um, all right, two last questions before we wrap up. What's a what's a favorite book uh, that you can recommend to our listeners?
0: Yeah, so actually, um, my. <laughs> And like I told you before, I hate saying favorite, anything. Um, That's why I said a
1: favorite, one of the favorites.
0: (laughs) Yes, I'll tell you my favorite. So uh, a book, it was actually recommended to me um, by my mentor, Rafiq. And I would say of books that, you know, I, I kind of think apply to life. I really like The Go-Giver. It's a great book. Yeah. And it just, I've it's one of the few books that it's really short. So I've read it multiple times, listened to it. Um, and I think it, it is so true. You know, you, you give, um, more than you get. And I think always trying to provide people with more service than they expect and not necessarily even expecting anything in return. Um, but just being a giving person and, and trying to help people and not being, Um, selfish and trying to hide all of your knowledge or your secrets. You know, I, I I don't believe in that. Um, So I think that book is one that I kind of live my life by and I completely agree with. And so far so good. And I've, you know, I, I work with people who also follow the same philosophy and, and because of Rafik being so much that way, I've learned so much and, and grown my portfolio, which has, you know, grown his. And I don't know, I think it's just a good book to, to follow.
1: Yeah, I agree. love it. Um, all right. So last question, what are your three pillars of wealth creation?
0: All right. So this is, um, you know, something I had to think about just three things that I would say, um, have helped me to become wealthy, you know, that's all on a a scale, but, um, first thing I would say is, is love what you do. So I think if you don't love what you do, you're never going to be successful at it. Um, And I actually wrote them down. So I'm, I'm reading them. Um, surround yourself with honest and like-minded individuals. Uh, so definitely if I wasn't surrounded by the people I'm surrounded with, I would be nothing. Um, I would, my problems would be worse because I would have nobody to talk to about them. Um, you know, I never would have grown in the way that I have in the last couple of years. And I think just the people you're around, super important. Um, And then the last thing is don't be afraid to take calculated risks. So, uh, you know, I have, especially in the last six months had a lot of people reaching out saying, you know they wanna start getting started investing and please help them find a property. And there's been multiple times where I have negotiated 20% hold back. You can get this deal. I, I, you know, I'm gonna take the other one but you get this one if you want it, get started. And people get scared and they they want it, but they don't, they're not willing to make that risk because every right. single time you buy a property, it is a risk. And um, I guess I'm just not, not so scared. So I'm okay with taking the calculated risk as you are and any investor.
1: Yeah. Anybody that's going to have real success is going to have to take a calculated risk and to have to surround themselves with amazing people and they you gotta love what you do. And th- those, those are definitely three massive pillars. Uh, if you want to have a successful business and create wealth, I love them. Uh, Alexandra, how can our listeners get in touch with you, learn more? Um, you know, have a conversation with you.
0: Yeah. So I'm not really big on, uh, like Instagram or anything like that, but they can certainly email me, uh, so I can tell you my email. Should I just say my email right now?
1: Yeah. Why don't you, and then we'll throw it in the show notes too.
0: Okay. Perfect. So it's Alexandra at Karina Simone.com. So K-A-R-I-N-A-S-I-M-O-N-E. Uh, and that's my email address. I do have a personal Instagram, but I, you know, it's, I'm not really, uh, my passion is not being online. Not
1: Instagram. Yeah. I hear you there. Yeah. Love it. Well, really appreciate the time. I think you've given our listeners a ton of great information, very inspiring. Um, you've done a lot in three years and, uh, I am super excited to have you on in another three years and talk about, you know, the amazing journey that you've gone through. And I know where you're going to be in, you know, give it two years, three years from now is going to be, um, very impressive. So uh, excited to um, have you on the show and excited to uh, be able to call you a friend. So thank you so much for joining us and you have a fantastic rest of the day.
0: Thank you so much. It was great. Adios.